So let's uh, have a look into this uh, chapter, 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, If you've been coming a while, you'll know that we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians uh, here in some Sunday mornings. Uh, This letter from the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the early church, he wrote this letter to a particular community of believers in a town called Corinth. They were struggling in particular ways. Uh, And uh, we've seen some of the struggles they've been going through and the ways in which the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to help them out, really. Catch up online if you want to, www.portswood.org, and follow the links there and you can listen to if you missed uh, any of them. This is our last session for a while. We'll come back to 1 Corinthians after the summer break. Already it's feeling like, you know, we're into the summer mode. A few people are on holiday, all the students aren't here. And we want to get back into 1 Corinthians in a big way uh, when uh, they're all back with us and, and we can kind of move forward in, in 1 Corinthians. So we're starting, uh, well, there's a one-off series next week and then a series on the life of Abraham uh, going through uh, the summer period. Now, do you remember what one of the really big issues are that Paul tackles in these chapters? Divisions. Divisions among the believers, among the community. They were dividing up around their favourite teachers or their favourite leaders. And they were arguing and quarrelling with each other. And it was all getting really quite serious. It was a really serious problem. And the reason it was serious is because, as Paul has said, as we've seen in these passages... That kind of dividing up, that issue of, of you know, who their favourite leaders were and all of that, was a symptom. It wasn't the real problem. It was a symptom of a much more serious problem. Something else was causing it. And as we've seen, and as we heard last week and through the previous weeks, what was happening was that they were becoming infected by the way of thinking that was in the culture all around them. And they were forgetting that the gospel, the good news about Jesus that they had believed, was different to the the thinking, the prevailing thinking of the culture all around them. Uh, They'd forgotten that. they, They were kind of going back to their old ways of thinking. And Paul is saying, look, you need to get back to the foundations. You get need to get back to what you heard, this message that Jesus It was at the heart of it. It's a message about Jesus Christ and the fact that he was crucified. And Paul has been stressing that again and again. Because they were going after other things than that. Especially, as we've seen, something that is uh, translated as wisdom. Human ideas about God. The way of thinking of, uh, of the people all around them. And in their culture at that time, and indeed as it's been in many cultures and still is today, the idea of a crucified Messiah, the idea that God's purpose is that God could be known, that we could get into relationship with God because of of a a figure dying on a cross was a scandal and they were kind of drifting away from that. Now there were other problems and we'll see what they are uh, as we go on into this letter But as we come towards the end of this first section, Paul ends up with this final plea, as we saw last week, for them to to get their heads straight, to come to their senses, or to grow up. Remember what we think about growing up, that's why we've called the whole series Growing Up. As John reminded us last week, uh, with some great teenage one-liners, you can get those on the the, uh, download as well if you want to. They They were spiritual adults, but they were behaving like spiritual teenagers. 
They were going back. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 6. Uh, we, this is the, you think, why am I going there? That's not the end of the passage, but you'll see. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself, Adipolis, for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, etc. Paul says, I've written these things for your benefit. He said, the things you've just read, I've written for you. I want you to learn something from them. What does he say that he wants them to learn? So that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. Literally, that word is to be puffed up. He says, you know, I've written all this stuff so far so that you will stop getting puffed up getting proud of one person and another's. Now, just to bear with the teenager idea for a little bit longer. Teenagers and toddlers have quite a lot in common. Have you noticed that? Uh, no offence. I'm just taking the word teenagers are outside. But anyway, uh, they, they can, you know, in lots of ways, you know, they're a bit clumsy, that, that, that's, that's similar. But in the matter of their egos, they're very similar, aren't they? You know, a toddler's world is their world. Teenagers can be a bit like that as well. And Paul is saying, you Corinthians, you've got these bloated egos. You're puffed up. All this stuff about, you know, I'm for this one, I'm for that one, and all the fights between you, you're just getting inflated. You're blowing up. And Paul says, actually, you're losing something really important. And the question as we come to this is, look, can we get into the mindset of the world like they did? Can we drift away from the key crucial realities of Jesus as a crucified Messiah as being the main thing? And do we become like spiritual adolescents, you know, regressing into sub-Christian behaviour? You know, we can. It's possible. And you know, it often (laughs) happens around church fights and bust-ups, as some of us may have known in our own experiences in the past. When a whole church can suddenly start behaving in a sub-Christian way. So Paul is writing, he says, I'm writing these things about me and Apollos for your benefit to help you not get bloated up in your egos. To stop your egos being from bloated. You know, I, I don't know about you, I'm a bit fed up with these uh, adverts that, where women talk about being bloated. Is that right, ladies? I don't know whether it's a thing about ladies being bloated and they... Actimel, is it Actimel that's supposed to ease bloating? But <laughs> that Paul, Paul is saying, look, your egos are bloated, whether you feel like it or not, and I've got some spiritual Actimel for you. I've got something <laughs> that will help get your, your egos into the right place. I I don't know whether we need that, but let's see how it goes. There are two particular doses of the treatment. The first one is in chapter 3, verses 18 to 23. Here's the first treatment for bloated egos. Do not deceive yourselves, verse 18. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, as you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Here's the first bit of treatment if uh, our ego is becoming a bit too bloated. 
Number one, we need to know where we belong, Paul says. Know where you really belong. Do you enjoy magic tricks? Enjoy conjuring tricks? Wish I could do one. I can never do them. Card tricks. How do they work? They work because we get deceived, don't we? That's the whole basis of it. And, you know, it's not easy, is it? It's not, sorry, it's not difficult to um, deceive somebody. It's quite easy to be deceived. Um, we deceive ourselves often. You know, we see what we want to. I, Mary and I love the... We, if I give TV references, let me just say we, we record stuff, you know, so we don't spend all our time watching TV when I should be working. But um, if you watch Sarah Beanie's program, you know, Help My House is Falling Down, that's a, that's a great show. And it's uh, all, all about these poor people who buy houses and then she comes and rescues them. She's like a, and helps them put their house right. But you, so often you watch it and they say, yeah, we had a full survey. And um, still they bought the house and the house is falling down because they, they deceive themselves that, or they didn't read the survey properly or they didn't take the advice that they were given it's so easy, isn't it, to deceive ourselves. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, look, you're in danger of deceiving yourselves. And, and what's happening is you're chasing the wisdom of this age, says Paul. You're chasing something that's tied to the way this age works, the way your world works. And for you, Corinthians, he says, it's all about powerful intellect that builds status around the people that have the smartest ideas. It's about human wisdom trying to work its way somehow to God. It's about special people, great teachers, fantastic traveling celebrity lecturers in their case, who used to come into town and tell everyone the secret of life, and everyone thought that was great. And the Corinthian believers were beginning to expect Christian teachers to be like that and compare Paul and Apollos and Cephas, that's Peter, and start fighting each other. And they were looking for these special people who could give, give you this or that, the secret of how to get there. Seven ways to be a successful Christian. Eight, eight mi- easy ways to be powerful. Twenty ways to be really blessed. Swallowing something that actually meant that they were deceiving themselves because Paul says the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of this age, doesn't know God. And as we saw earlier in 1 Corinthians 1, God is revealed by himself. It's the way he chooses to reveal himself. And the way Jesus, uh, God reveals himself is seen in the death of his son Jesus on a cross. And it's a scandal. And it's not the way this world works. It's utterly, completely opposed to it. But it is in Jesus and what Jesus has done. It's the power of God. In there is the power of God to transform our lives. That's the key thing. How does that come into our lives? By faith, by believing, by, as Paul puts it in chapter 1, being saved, being rescued, becoming part of God's salvation movement in Jesus. That's the, the wisdom that you need. And Paul is saying, you're leaving all of that. Get back to it, guys. You can read all, more about that in chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, if you missed it earlier. How do we get that wisdom from God? We get it by humbly accepting that we don't have it ourselves. That really, we're foolish. We have to realize, admit, in terms of spiritual wisdom, we're empty, we're out, we're bankrupt. We're helpless. We'll miss it completely unless we go God's way. Then that God's way is simply humbly accepting his truth. 
into our lives. As C.S. Lewis, you know, one of the kind of most famous quotes of his conversion, he said, I gave in and admitted that God was God. I knelt and prayed that night, the most reluctant convert in all England. Lewis was mighty in the wisdom of this world, wasn't he? He was one of the greatest intellects of his day. Which may be why it was so tough for him, why he was so reluctant to kneel down and admit that God was God and he was a human being, that he didn't have the answers. He had to give himself to the God who called for his worship and loyalty in Christ. But he did it. And that's where the, Christian, the Corinthian Christians began their Christian lives. And Paul says that's the same for us. That's how we begin on the Christian life. God has spoken. He's done something. It's in Jesus. We can have that into our lives as we receive it for ourselves, as we repent, as we trust him. Paul says, get back to that. Get back to where your life is founded. But how had they left it? How could they have left all of that behind? Well, they got these leaders. They joined their particular tribes. You see, for the Corinthians, it wasn't enough to have the message of the cross. It had to come with the emphasis of their particular tribal hero, the person that they particularly valued most. That favourite favorite speaker, that favourite author, or if they had DVDs, that greatest DVD presenter with the inside track that all the others didn't actually have anymore. Could that happen to us? Yes, it can. Certainly. You know, it starts off with your your favourite celebrity speaker or the writer you most like. Uh, And that's in the way they emphasise it. And then it's before long, it's, well, I'm of so-and-so. I follow this person. I follow that person. And then it's not just I follow them. I belong to them. That's the phrase that is used, actually, in the Greek. When it says, the old version says, I am of so-and-so. That is actually quite a a good translation of the original. When when Paul says, when you say, I am of so-and-so, NIV translates, I follow so-and-so. It's actually much stronger. I am of them. And as we see in a minute, Paul is going to say, you're not of them, (laughs) you're of someone else, as we shall see. And Paul is showing us how dangerous it is you, don't, you shouldn't belong to them, he says, because you're not of them. Actually, he says, look at, look, look at verse 21. No more boasting, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. He says, actually, Paul says, you don't belong to them, they belong to you. Huh? That's strange. What does he mean by that? Well, he's saying to them, look, we don't belong to this age anymore. We're part of the age to come. The age that is centered around Jesus, the Messiah, the king of the age to come. The one from God who brings God's age to come into the present, breaking in. And in his death and in his resurrection, says Paul, Jesus, the king of the age to come, breaking in in his kingdom into the present, has got everything covered, so to speak. And he shares it. With us, he says. Because we're part of his people movement. God's wisdom and everything else is in Christ's hands and he's sharing it with us, his people. Look at Romans chapter... Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. Go back, just a few pages back in the Bible. 
to page 1135, one of the most uh, well-known passages in the Bible, Romans 8. He spells it out here. It's a, a long passage. I'm going to read a couple of verses. First of all, we see verse 28. We know that in all things God works... Oh, page 1135, I'm sorry, 1135. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God at work in all things. That all things there. All things are yours, says Paul. God is at work in all things. He's told the Corinthians, all things are yours, all things are in Christ. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And verse 38, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers and so on, anything else will separate us from the love of God. You notice there's some phrases there that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians, the future, the powers, all these things are covered in Jesus. He's got them. So Paul is telling the Corinthian believers, and the message comes to us as well, we don't belong to any particular camp. We don't belong to any particular Christian leader. We belong to Jesus. That's where we belong, with him. Because human wisdom makes us think we're all very clever, that we've all got it pretty clear, it's all pretty biblical because of who I read or who I listen to or what Bible translation is my favourite or, or which conference I go to or whatever or whatever or which blogs I read. That makes me think, yeah, I'm pretty clever, I've got it all sewn up or they're pretty clever, they've got it all sewn up or they're the really biblical ones and everyone else is slightly off. But Paul says, if I belong to those people, it's taking me away from my real home my real place of identity and belonging, which is in Jesus. That's what's happening. And we need to know where we belong, don't we? really need to know. So we don't boast about human leaders, because if we do, we end up giving ourselves to them. We end up seeing our Christian lives through their particular emphasis and their particular filter. And God wants so much but more for us. We go on holiday sometimes to Spain, well quite often, I don't think we're going there this year. And the little place we go to is a place called La Cala, La Cala de Mijas on the Costa del Sol. It's got a nice beach. Coming uh, onto the beach as you walk halfway along from the bit where we kind of live in the main town, there's a, there's a really ropey old kind of river, you know, one of these rivers that's empty whenever you're there. It fills up when it rains, that's not very often. Hey, it's filthy, it's disgusting, you know, it's kind of muddy and weedy and all kind of slimy. And you know, got the, have you seen those things? They come down onto Mediterranean beaches in such places where there's hills around them. And at the kind of end of the river, there's a big kind of, the, the, the sand kind of forms up. Uh, and the other side of it is the Mediterranean Sea. And, you know, Paul says, look guys, you, it's like playing in that muddy river giving yourself to leaders, letting the Christian life be dictated when, that, when actually the Mediterranean Sea is just over there. God's got so much more from you. He wants so much more for us than bloated egos. That's what he's saying. Get back there, he says. Do you know where you belong? With Jesus. That's where we belong. It stops bloating. Because <laughs> we're too awestruck we're worshipping him. We see ourselves as we really are, empty, 
but full of everything Jesus gives us. Let's get back there if we need to. Or if you've never been there, get there for the first time. Get with Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. Paul has got some other comments as he writes for their benefit to help stop their bloating egos, and that's in chapter um, uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Let's look there. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, it is required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise for God. First cure for bloated egos, know where you belong with Jesus. Second cure for bloated egos, know who it's all for. That's what Paul is saying. Paul's told them, we're of Christ. We belong to Christ. We don't belong to leaders. We belong to Jesus. The people we hear the good news from, the people who help us, the people whose blogs we read and whose books we think are great, all of that, nothing wrong with any of those things, but those people also belong to Jesus. Paul says, I belong to Jesus, just the same as, uh, as you belong to Jesus, and I belong to you, and you belong to me. And Paul is saying, I am like a servant. See that word there? He says, people, this is how you should regard us. That means Paul and Apollos and the other leaders they were fighting over. He said, regard us as servants. That word has the idea of an under-rower. You know, what's an under-rower? Well, you know, you remember those Roman galleys, you know? They often had two decks of rowers. Okay, if you're an under-rower, you're on the lower deck, you know, rowing your oar kind of thing. And the point was that you were under orders. You did what the top deck did and the others. Paul is saying, we're under orders. We're doing this stuff. We are God's servants. He says that we've been entrusted. He, again, uses a word that is used of household managers of the time. People who look after someone else's stuff. That's what Paul says. We're, we're like people who look after God's stuff. It's not about us. It's all for someone else. It's for Jesus. And what you get from people like us, says Paul, all of that, it's all about Jesus. It's for Jesus. Imagine going, if you were able to, to Richard Branson's, on a holiday theme, it's a summer, Richard Branson's island. Gather he's got an island or two, hasn't he, in the Caribbean or Caribbean, how do you say? Imagine going there as a guest and, uh, you know, being there, you go on Virgin Atlantic or whatever, you get off and get a limousine and a boat and all of that, and you arrive and, and he's not around to meet you, he's coming later. You're met by the butler or the manager who looks after you, gives you a lovely bottle of wine or whatever, you know, little drinks with cocktails or, you know, you see the height of my luxury, imaginations, can you? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is. And, um, you know, they, this guy welcomes you, shows you around. You're not talking about the butler, are you? You're not saying, hey, what a, this is great. This is a great place you've got here. No, it's about Richard Brett. It's about the boss, isn't it? It's about the owner. And Paul says, you know, we as, as servants, we, you know, we're like the butler. You know, it's not about us. It's all for Jesus. 
And the idea carries on. He says, everything I do is for Jesus, he says. And he, as you see in these verses, he says, what Jesus thinks matters most. So he says, Paul, I'm going to be faithful to Jesus. That's it. That's the main thing. He says, I don't care what you Corinthians think of me. He says, it doesn't even matter what I think of myself. Although he does say, I'll try to keep my conscience clear. But even then, he says, I could be wrong on even that one. The main thing that matters is the Lord, the Lord Jesus. It's his review, his judgment. How he assesses it is the main thing. And in verse 5, he brings the Corinthians into the analogy and says, look, therefore, don't you judge before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. There's a time when the age to come is going to break into the present age and uh, the Lord will assess, the Lord will kind of determine what we've done. And Paul says to the Corinthians, don't judge till then, or even don't judge then either. Jesus is going to do the judging, the assessing. And what's he going to see? He's going to see the whole picture, the hidden heart motives. It's in there, verse 5. Look at the last last line of verse 5. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now he's really brought the Corinthians into it. Now it's not just about Paul and Apollos and Cephas, it's each, every believer, will receive his praise from God or her praise from God. We are each accountable. We each are going to get a chance to get praise from God. Think about that. You're going to have the opportunity one day to get God praising you. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) Aren't we supposed to praise God? Yeah, we are. But Paul is saying one day... As you serve God, if it's all for Jesus, you're going to hear Jesus say, you did a great job, well done. And notice Paul is waiting for reward, he's waiting for praise. He's not sitting around saying, oh, I'm going to get smacked. He's saying, I'm waiting for a praise, for a reward. And this is the third time in these passages, this, this, this immediate passage, he's mentioned this coming event. You can look at it, yeah, I won't dwell on it now because we're nearly through with time. But if you look at verse 8, when he's been talking about how he and Apollos and so on are like agricultural workers, uh, and then he he moves it on in verse 8 about anyone who plants and anyone who waters, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Again, each rewarded according to his own labor. uh, There's an image, we saw it last week, of building on the right foundation, building on Jesus, building with good stuff, stuff that's going to last. We need to be careful how we build because it says, again, um, that uh, uh, if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. Chapter 3, verse 14. Now verse 4. Uh, chapter 4, verse 5, we await praise from God. So we need to know who our lives are for. Know who it's for. It's for Jesus. It's not for you. It's not for the boss. It's not for the parents. It's not for the kids. It's not for the friends. First, it's for Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Get that in mind. It's all about him. And if that's true in our lives today, tomorrow, this week, then when the age to come breaks in, we'll hear him say, well done. You'll hear his appraisal when the age to come takes over. And Paul's going to talk a lot more about that in 1 Corinthians. In fact, the longest chapter in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, is all about the breaking in of the age to come. So as we finish then, 
Paul is telling us and the Corinthians, if as we start boasting, in other words, if we find that what matters most in our Christian lives, the thing that kind of is the most defining thing, if you like, is to do with some tribe or another, some faction, whether it could be emerging church, it could be open evangelicalism, it could be reformed theology, it could be charismatic expression, it could be so-called gospel ministry, and the name of the leaders that go with those various tribes or even Portswood Church. If it's all about that, if that's what matters most, if our whole Christian life is defined around something that's connected to a leader and another idea, and then we need to be very careful because at that moment we start to get puffed up, to get bloated. And you start to miss something really important. John shared a little bit of this last week. Chapter 4, verse 6, verse 7, rather. You will, take, you will not take pride in one man over against another, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast? Sorry, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Because as you get puffed up, you start to miss something really important. What do you miss? If it's all about your Christian subgroup, your favourite tribe or your favourite emphasis, you miss the fact that that precious rediscovery that you've got from those people, which is great, that new emphasis, that that kind of heightened realisation of some aspect of God's truth, that special gift, of somebody, especially of someone else in ministry or writing or whatever, all those are all good things. But you forget that all of those things are just that. They are gifts from God, just like salvation. And once we forget it's a gift, we very soon forget who gave it to us. Got that? Once we forget these things are gifts, we start forgetting the giver. So we need to know who it's all for. It's for Jesus. One day he could say to you, well done. Say to me, well done, I hope. Don't want to miss that day, do you? I don't want, you know, silence from Jesus on that day. I want to hear him say, yeah, well done. Something to live for. Know who it's all for. And let's know where we belong. We don't belong to anyone but Jesus who gives us everything else. That way, we can keep growing up and not go backwards and become like spiritual adolescents again.